Good evening, saints. Let's just go through a short study of God's Word. And then after that, we'll take some time for testimonies. So let's turn to Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 4, <clears throat> in some ways, it is the prequel because there are a few things in Acts chapter 4 that you see happen again in Acts chapter 5 um, or duplicated in some way. The first thing is the giving is going to be duplicated, but maybe in an opposite way in, in the first part with Ananias and Sapphira. After that, we're going to see um, the opposition, or I should say we should see the growth after that, which is at the end of chapter 4. And then after that, we're going to see some opposition to the believers, which gets worse. So the first thing we're going to see is Ananias and Sapphira, um, and everybody knows a little bit about that story, but one thing that we have to keep in mind is this. Um, we, and Satan can often do this, a lot of times the wickedness that people do can take away the luster of the righteousness that someone else does. And I think that in some ways, that's what Ananias and Sapphira was meant to do for Barnabas's good deed. The reason that they did what they did, let's look back at chapter 4, verse 36. It says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, that wasn't an extraordinary act that he did. You don't see that happen a lot. You don't see that happen a lot in the daily church as it is now, right? People just say, man, you know, I, can't, I got some land. I'm selling it and giving it all to the church. That's not common. And when he did that, it was such an encouragement that that's what started the spurt of all the giving and all the generosity that the early church had. So we had to keep that in mind that when Barnabas did what he did, it brought him all this attention. He even got a new name, right? His name was Joseph. Now he's got this new name, son of encouragement. And for a lot of people, that spurred them and say, man, I can do that too. God blessed me with wealth. I can give too. But then other people was more worried about the attention that he was getting. And that's where you get to Ananias and Sapphira. And I believe it just happens a lot in the church. Here's the thing. Somebody will see somebody else gets praised. But you've got to come in the church, you're going to either come in the church for one of two reasons. You're either coming for the praise of man or for the praise of God. You've got to decide really quickly which one you want. Because the two often don't go together. Jesus said this, if you praise or if you pray and men praise you and you do it just because men can praise you, that's as far as it goes. You get nothing from God. But if you do it in secret so that men don't see you and God sees you, then the praise from God echoes forth. And that's all you get is the praise from God. But the value is so much more. Now, I don't want that to seem like it contradicts what we said this morning. I do believe public works of good are still good. But the general principle behind that is what he's talking about, right? Jesus often teaches things that have very strong extremes in order to teach a lesson. Just like he said, if somebody slapped your cheek, turn the other cheek. If he's saying that we should just go about doing that nowadays, somebody throw a punch and you just turn the other cheek 
and let them punch the other. No, he's talking about a general idea, though, right? He's teaching us a general truth. And the general truth is this. Who you seek to praise is who you get the glory and reward from, and that's it. You can't choose man and God. You're going to choose one or the other. And Ananias and Sapphira, they chose man. So let's read a little bit here. It says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? <clears throat> While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now, the whole thing about that is, was it wrong for him to give part of the money? It wasn't wrong, right? And I know we discussed this at length, but it's still good to go over these simple points. Nothing was wrong about that he gave part of it. Just like when you give a tithe, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But guess what? Nothing wrong with giving all either. And nothing is wrong with somebody doing something in between. But it is something wrong about lying about what you're doing, right? Or misrepresenting what you're doing. And I believe a lot of times in church what people, don't, people do a lot is they don't lie, they misrepresent. Kind of remind me of this story in the news of um, the lieutenant governor. Anybody heard about the story about him and whether he graduated from college or not? All right, so in my view, he didn't lie. But he completely misrepresented what he did, right? So he would just say, yeah, I finished college. And what does that mean to everybody who hear the word finish? They say, man, that man graduated. Good for him, you know? Now, he ain't mean that when he said finish. He just meant he left. <laughs> so then everybody's sitting there looking like, okay. So he, he said, I thought he said he graduated. In, in your head, you, you, you did hear that he said graduate, didn't you? Because he said, I finished college. And he just letting people just go along with that assumption, a false assumption of believing that he really doesn't graduate, you know? So then later on, people ask when they say, I didn't lie, I just said I finished. Well, that's deceptive, right? And deception is just as bad as lying. It's just trying to be clever about it, which is probably even worse. You know how much effort it takes to put that much deception there to come up with a word that means the same as something else, but you can kind of weasel out of it when somebody asks you about it? Yeah, that's, that's a lot of effort in that evil that he did. And that's why that's actually even worse than a lie. And I believe a lot of believers do stuff like that. People ask them about questions, and as long as they don't ask them specifically, you know, hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing good. All right, see you. Well, hey, man, when I asked you that last week, actually that was a time that you had just lost your job on Thursday, and you told me, well, it was going good. I mean, my family was healthy. Bro, you just wasn't honest with me. I saw the look on your face. That's why I asked you if everything was going good. How can you even be honest with me? Right? We can be deceptive in many different ways. And I think in our own, in our own believers, what we do is we're more likely to be deceptive than we are to straight up lie, right? So we're not going to tell somebody we have a job and we don't, but we're just not going to tell them we don't have a job right now. Right? We're not going to tell somebody 
that yeah, me and my wife, we, we, we battling left and right at home. We ain't going to say that. And if somebody asks about it, we say, yeah, man, you know, we go through our struggles like everybody else. But yeah, let's keep on praying for us. Yeah. But that completely misrepresents it, doesn't it? It is, it's, it's sound to me like you kind of trying to, inst, inst, you're trying to imply that you kind of had an argument, but it's nothing any worse than anything else. Right? Little do we know. Y'all really thinking about breaking this whole thing off. And so the whole thing is, we got to be honest, right? I think we can be so understanding of what an actual sin is that we sin by trying to sin in every way that's not checking off the marks of that box that's called lying. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira did. They didn't lie. They probably didn't lie. They probably just said something like, yeah, you know, somebody said, man, you giving it just like Barnabas. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. All right. And Peter like, okay. Why are you lying to me? You're not lying to me. You're lying to God. Verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, <coughs> excuse me, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yeah, for so much. You just see Peter shaking his head. Here. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Now, you might say that Peter has a spirit of prophecy, that he knows these things, and that's probably true. But on the other hand, if you ask two people <laughs> about a lie and they both agree on that lie, you know they agreed together, right? He said, how do you agree together to test the spirit of the Lord? Now, let's think about this. Who were they trying to impress? They were trying to impress men, right? But who knew the truth? God knew the truth. So then you got to say to yourself this, they didn't care one bit about what God thought, right? Their actions betrayed that they didn't care one bit about what God thought, but they wanted to be, catch onto the coattails of what Barnabas did. And everybody else can say, man, we want to be good givers like Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. But it turns out Ananias and Sapphira wasn't doing it like Barnabas was doing. But... Still, the same theme that we had before, that nothing can stop God from growing his church. Look at verse 10. She immediately fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. This is not stopping God. And the thing about it is, God's punishment done and observed the right way also grows the church. It also grows a church. It also spreads the gospel because now we know we ain't playing with God and God ain't playing with us, right? Verse 12 through 15, we get through a new section here. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Why? Because the ministry of Jesus is still continuing, right? And one thing you can see is, and I believe this is the object of Luke, is this. 
Luke goes through and writes a whole book describing the ministry of Jesus. Then Luke writes a second book, and he's trying to show how the ministry of the apostles is the ministry of Jesus. And that's why when people say things like, well, you know, Jesus never talked about homosexuality, I got to shake my head. Because if the apostles spoke about it, Jesus did too. They wrote in the name of Jesus, right? The whole scripture is in the name of Jesus. So when the scripture says in Romans, right, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's written by Paul. Well, Jesus didn't say that. Paul said that. Paul didn't say that outside of the authority of God. He said that in the name of Jesus. So Jesus said that. When you think about the writing of Scripture, what you can say is this. Paul is writing the words, and Jesus is saying, amen, every word. That's what Scripture means. Each writer has their own style, right? Jesus is not dictating what they write, but he's saying, amen, I agree with what you said. So if Jesus is agreeing with the word, Jesus can, we can say that Jesus said it. That's why they said earlier in the passage we looked at in Acts 4, when it says, David said this, by the Holy Spirit. Why do they say by the Holy Spirit? Because all the word can be said to be breathed out by the Holy Spirit, right? All of it is. It's amazing, and it's a beautiful thing, how the inspiration of the Spirit of God is. Because it doesn't take away the individual colors of the characters who write it, does it? Luke is way different than Matthew, which is different than Mark, which is different than John. They all writing about the same subject. None of them contradict each other. But when you see it, you kind of see a beautiful ability of the Lord to retain our individuality, but still do his will. That's actually the beauty of the church, right? If you think about it, that's why the church should not be segregated. That's why we want white and black and Hispanic and Asian and Middle Eastern and all kind of people to be in the church. Because the church should not be segregated the way it is now, right? It should not be segregated because you want people to in, retain their individual culture that is not sinful and their individuality that is not sinful, but bring that in and mix that into the flavor of the church, right? And it gives us a depth. I think of it this way. When we look at a church, and I mean this both in the pun and in the reality of the words, but when you bring in, it's like it brings a depth of color, See, when you paint a picture, the more colors that you can use in it, you can kind of show 3D effects. You can kind of show depth and to the degree that you can almost make an image seem like it pops out of a paper. And sometimes you go to a church and you see it's all black in there. And I think that's a problem. You see it's all white. That's a problem. All Hispanic, all Asian. We live in the USA that's supposed to be a melting pot. And we go on our jobs and we see a black person and a white person and an Asian person. Well, then we go to our churches and we struggling to see somebody that looked different than us. That's not of God. Verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. Did that remind you of chapter 4? Right? That's why I'm saying chapter 5 echoes chapter 4 in almost every way. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Same thing. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. 
That's amazing, right? They arrest these people and go home for the night. And after they arrest these people, they, the angels say, hey, go out there and start preaching again. What does that mean you're supposed to do? Well, you better go back preaching, right? So they go out there and start preaching again. And when the high priest came and those who were with him, they didn't know nothing about this, right? They called together the council, all the synod of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. When we opened them, we found no one inside. <laughs> the next verse is the one that made me laugh the most. When, now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. <laughs> you could see the guy that's going, oh dear. These guys have done something again. And someone came and told them, look, the man who you put in prison, <laughs> the men who you put in prison are standing in a temple and teaching the people. Uh, now listen, that, that, wouldn't that make you just think twice, right? I just put this guy in jail. I locked him up. I got guards all along the outside. And he out there again. And the guards didn't see him going, me, I would stop fighting this guy. That's just me, right? That's, I mean, <laughs> right? These guys already healed somebody that's lame. They claiming that they mastered somebody we killed and got resurrected. What can we do to these guys, right? But you got to get this about Satan. He does not stop. And the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force. For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They saying, Listen, man, we told you not to do this. And now here you are making us guilty of this man's blood. But look what Peter says. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed. His blood is on you. By hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is a very powerful thing that he's saying here. And what he's saying is this. We saw this, and you can't stop us. And God saw it, and you can't stop him. And God is putting his spirit in each individual saint so that they now have a witness of what has happened. I believe this. One of the reasons that we are so convinced that God's word is true is because the Holy Spirit is telling us I was there. Right? You think about that. When you read the gospel, sometimes you'd be like, man, you'd be thinking about it and it becomes so real to you. That's the Holy Spirit, right? He's sitting there saying, hey, man, I was there. This is how it was. That's actually what we do when we preach. When we preach, a lot of times the preaching could last, what, as long as 40 minutes, right? And you sit there and you study for hours and hours and hours. And the reason that we study for hours is we're giving the Holy Spirit time to explain to us what actually happened, Right? We sitting there and we read and we read and we read in the passage over and over and over. And the Holy Spirit is like, hey, this is what happened. Hey, don't miss this. Okay, I was there. This person said it this way. All right, I see what you wrote in your notes, but that's not quite right. This is what occurred. And then as you go through it and you hear these things, you say, man, that's true. That's what. And then you don't want to preach until you finally write down enough what the Holy Spirit says. Okay, 
You generally got what I wanted. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. What did they say that's worth killing? What did they say that's worth killing over? Did they say, me and your wife was over there? See, that's something that's worth fighting over, right? Did they say, I'm going to beat up your children? Did they say, I'm going to burn down everything that you own? No, they said, you did what you did. If you were so proud of it, why are you so mad when people accuse you of doing it? You ever notice that? People always, they hold parades to say that they're proud of their sin. But then when you say that that's what your sin is, they're mad about it. If you were so proud, why are you so angry when I point out what you're doing? Doesn't that tell you that they know that they're ashamed and should be ashamed of what they're doing? If they were so proud of killing Jesus, they shouldn't have no problem being accused of killing Jesus. But then verse 34, God is working, even in there trying to be subtle and deceptive. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. Now we can read all what he said, but his basic point is going to be this. Listen, this is all going to fall apart anyway. We don't have to help this. Every time that somebody gets up to start to try some revolution, it falls apart because God is not part of it. And if God is not part of this, it'll fall apart too. I don't think he's trying to support them because if he was, he wouldn't be with them. His whole thought is, okay, it's going to fall apart on its own. There's no need for us to get our hands dirty. And so in the verse, end of verse 39, so they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, you got to think about, you might say to yourself, man, why they beat him if they agree with his advice? But you got to realize they already have warned them once. It's just like if you get ridden up for something twice at work, they're going to step up the penalty level, right? And that's the same with the apostles. They already warned them once. They can't just send, give them another batch of words. We got to do something to step up and let them know how serious we are. So we're going to beat them. So then in verse 31, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Isn't that crazy? The name. Again, what's the name? Jesus, right? And that means that we are standing in for Jesus. If we're counted worthy of counting dishonor for the name, that means Jesus says that we stood in for him and we took a blow that was intended for Jesus. And you know what? That is something to be proud of. It's just be proud of. It's just like a bodyguard that steps in front of the president and stops somebody from shooting him. You'd be proud of that if you was a bodyguard, wouldn't you? You say, this bullet was meant for the president, but I stopped it. Yeah, I, I took a bullet in the arm, but it didn't get the president. Yeah, this was meant for Jesus, but I took that. He's done so much, taken so much for me, but you know, in this case, I stepped in and took a blow that they meant for Jesus. You'll remember that. Isn't that amazing? That's why to be persecuted is such an honor. 
It's not just that we suffer so much for Jesus. It's that literally we stepped in. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Jesus steps in for us. We can step in for him. In the name, right? And every day in the temple and from house to house, what they do? They was kind of worried now. Nope. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They didn't stop. So I love this chapter, and I love the book of Acts because the whole theme of Acts is you can't stop the spread of the gospel, no matter what you do. You could be a demon girl yelling at the top of her lungs. You could be a city that shouts for hours on end. You could be a philosopher. You could be the emperor. You could be a court. You could be a Roman guard. It don't matter how. You can kill an apostle. You can kill a holy man. You can persecute the church. You can scatter the church. But at the end of the day, it's all going to make the gospel spread all the faster. That's what the book of Acts is all about. Satan tries his hardest, and everything he tries does not succeed. And so Satan is caught between a rock and a hard place. He can't do nothing to stop the church of God because that would let it succeed. And then every time he tries to do something to stop the work of God, that makes it succeed. So what should he do? Well, it seemed to me like his current tactic is to get inside the church and to mute the message of the gospel from inside. It seemed to me he's realized he can't stop the gospel, but if he can stop people from talking about the true gospel, that's just as good. So don't talk about sin, talk about love. Don't talk about judgment. That's too mean for this day and age. People don't want to hear the hopelessness that comes from sin and, and being depraved. They don't want to hear all that. The Bible is too old-fashioned. Don't talk about that. These Christians don't love people. That's why they're against gay marriage. Let's just let people tune them out. Let's, let's intimidate Christians into not saying the message of God. And then we stop the gospel. But the truth <laughs> is, even that's not going to stop the gospel from spreading. Amen? So with that, let's turn over to testimony time. We got about 15 more minutes. If you have a testimony, you can raise your hand. Grandpa Holt. Last week when you was talking, you were... Uh, giving a message, you know, about uh, how you give Thursday night Bible studies. And I was thinking about uh, about 15 years ago, we, we were doing the same thing. And it, and it was so proud, you know, because some of the people came back to tell us this, uh, it was Steve Perkins and his wife and uh, his sister. They came back and let us know that because of what we did for them, you know, giving them the gospel and being a one-by-one one studies with them, that uh, they appreciated it and how they, how they grew and everything. And so I just uh, say this, to, that don't give up on what you're doing, that you might not get uh, anything from it right now, but later on you will. And so that's what I want to say. Praise God. Yeah, we encourage everybody... 
who is looking for a Bible study. It is a form of discipleship right now, our Bible study. <coughs> We're having the people in the Bible study present and about subjects they've been studying on. And so we've had um, my wife, she did her study on the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testament. And then Patty did a study on defining prophecy. So we've had people in our study go out there, but it's good. It's putting hands on on the word. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, Brother Dewey. Uh, I want to give honor and praise to God, to our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just happy to be a part of a church. I praise God for allowing me to be part of a, us, stable and, and uh, how you want to say it, firm body church. I'm talking about sweet communion. Every chance I get, I want, I want to brag on my church and the teaching in it and how they teach the Word of God. You know, and, and um, how they believe in even the wrath of God. You don't get that everywhere. You just don't get that everywhere. And I just praise God for the work he's done. And, you know, I didn't see I seen Lola Spears, Spears here this morning. It was good to see her. It was good to see Miss Kenner and Bob at the uh, VA. It was good to see God doing this work. And then the work he did with Beverly and the work he did with my wife. I praise. I can't, I can't thank him enough. And I just pray and hope that he continue to do his work, which I know he is. And um, working with everybody that's been ill and sick and working with the church and building it up, building it up to be stronger. Just, you know, just praise God for my pastor, for his wife, for leadership team, you know, I had a problem with that at one time. But God said, your problem is not a problem. It's something that you need to do. And you need to do it. So do it. And I praise God for that. Praise God. Brother Aaron? So I heard you um, saying earlier today about uh, the young lady who had denounced Christianity. Altogether, I believe her name was Charlene. Mm -hmm. I think that's what her name was. She yeah. gave one of the Praise and Poetry Jams. And uh, somebody else who also come to the, one of the Praise and Poetry Jams, and his name is Patrick, he was sort of commenting on what she had said, and they were going back and forth and back and forth. I'm just looking at this and thinking to myself that, well, one, debating this sort of thing on social media is kind of just spinning wheels, because neither one of them getting anywhere. And I, before I even said anything, I was just looking at how much just anger and vitriol within everything she was saying. And you, it's really difficult, almost impossible to break through that. And just talking about mm -hmm. the, t the story you just got done reading, you know, how even though the disciples, they were, they were telling them the absolute truth, the fact that their hearts were so hardened, it wasn't getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, so regardless of how much truth they were putting out there, it wasn't going to get anywhere. So after a, a day after all of that went down with her denouncing publicly Christianity and whatnot, uh, Patrick put something else out there talking about, I don't see how 
Christians are so quick to denounce the faith and, and yada, yada, yada. And he had all these people getting on his thing, and they were spitting all this, you know, this long uh, verses talking about this and that and how much they, they're going into it. And it's like, but, you know, really need to keep things more simple. I think a lot of times when we end up debating things of God, we get so into ourselves and so into all of these other different ideologies and things that like we just fail to keep things simple. You know, because folks, they look for these huge, elaborate miracles from God. But have you ever just seen, just stopped and looked at the sunrise? Like, if it was just, just think about how this planet that we're on, if it was any further away or any closer to the sun, we wouldn't exist. Like, I, I just, and that's what I put out there on his page. I just explained it like that. Like, look, dude, instead of going all in depth about this thing and that thing, just keep it simple. Because God will handle the rest of it. You know, as far as it pertains, people being so angry, people being so, you know, frustrated at whatever's happening in the world, whatever happening, but why is God letting this happen? You can't break them free of that. Just stick to what the gospel is. The gospel isn't complicated. The gospel is real simple. And if God wanted to break, free, break through through people through the gospel, he's going to do that. And no amount of over-explaining we can do is going to change that. So I just... So just my testimony is basically about how we need to continue to pray for other Christians who are seem to be trying their best and have the right intentions at heart, mm-hmm. but are really need to keep things, keep, keep the core, keep the simple things present as well. And, yep. st- and stop going so far away from what really is, what God really wants us to hold on to the most. You know, mm-hmm. all these other extra stuff things that, yeah, it can help us in these different intricate and specific ways in life, but we need to be holding on to the core values of what Christianity is, what the core uh, values of faith really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think that's part of what they talked about with the Sadducees, right? And we can battle people who believe, who don't believe in the resurrection, or we can preach the gospel. And I think that we do, there is a place for debate and for breaking down people's arguments left and right, but I think in the end, most people are not convinced by that. It's the power of the gospel that has the power to convince people. And so we had to focus on the power of the gospel to break through those <coughs> walls. In my Bible, I have a clipping from probably 30 years ago in Milwaukee Journal, and there was some group coming out of California. It was a gay church group, and they were looking for a place to hold their, uh, their meetings, and they wound up over in Shorewood. So this guy's in full regalia. He's got robes down to the floor, and he's walking down the aisle. I got a $100 bill in my hand. Anybody can prove to me that Jesus condemned homosexuality. And my thought was, man, if I'd have been there, I'd have been running down that aisle and snatched that $100 bill because Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. And the Old Testament is very plain about his stand on homosexuality. And Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. So I'd have had that $100 bill in my hand. Yep. You know. <clears throat> and then to tie in with what Aaron was saying, you know, you can't argue people into the kingdom. Mm-mm. But I, it just flashed in my mind, you know, God's talking about love. If you tell somebody, hey, I love you, I want the best for you, Jesus died for you because he wanted the best for you, that's pretty hard to reject. You say, I'm here talking in your best interest. What I have to offer you is something you need, and I'm doing it only because I love you, man. That's hard to refute. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. 
And I think that's what we need to push. And I think also, um, like what you were saying, I think the Bible itself provides answers to a lot of these challenges that people have, right? Um, but in the end, if somebody wants to be ignorant, it's very hard to stop them. I remember somebody um, very close to our family had put up this thing about how how can the if the Bible wanted um if if basically if God created man, why did He create men with these weaknesses? Like for example, um, men can be kicked in certain parts and it would hurt them a lot, right? And so he's saying, well, why would they make those so easily accessible to be attacked? If if God made that, and, and the argument was just so stupid because it, it, I thought to myself, if so you're saying they evolved for a million years and they just stayed like that, it, it, and, and that was okay, but being created for two thousand, you know, for a couple thousand years, it's not okay. So I was just thinking about that, but it just people say things that are just so stupid. All you can do, I do think there's a place to publicly refute them because their foolishness needs to be answered to. But I think there's also a place not to answer. What does the proverb say? Answer a fool according to his folly. Lest he think he'd be wise in his own eyes. But don't answer a fool in his folly. Lest he think you like him. And what the whole proverb is saying is, it's hard to say what you should do in that situation. You know, you're going to have a, a, a battle either way. Who else had their hand raised over here somewhere? Oh, mom, go first and then Chantel. I was just going to testify to, um, I was at work a couple of weeks ago, and um, in the suicidal ward, a man came in, he was maybe 55 or whatever, and I was asking him, like, his story of why, you know, why he was there, and I was just amazed at his story because he was the pastor of one of the offshoots of Elmbrook. Oh, wow. He had started his church from the ground up in Franklin. The church had put him out after he had been at the church for 10 years. And um, they were in a gym, and it had outgrew the gym, and they had to get a building and all this kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, now he did not say, I, I doubt that he was saved at all, seriously. Just, I mean, I, I know the gospel, and I know when people, mm -hmm. sh where, where, you know, when they talk, anything about the Lord whatsoever. But he was there because he was an alcoholic. His son was an alcoholic, and his wife, who was the pastor, had died at 46 as alcoholic. And it just made me appreciate. I said, "Why, you, Lord, why are you showing this to me? Because, you know, when you think of the offshoots of Elmbrook, you think, you know, prosperous, awesome churches. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you see them and you're like, oh, um, they always seem to do well. Yep. And um, it just made me appreciate the testimony and the word of God that goes out as sweet communion and how you can't take that for granted. You think that it's so easy to find men and leaders that are committed and loyal to the Lord. It might look like that on the outside sometimes, but God just wanted to show me that that is far and few between to have a faithful, committed pastor um, and um, leadership and people in our church who are committed to him. And his story was so sad to me how, and, he, and all these people that were following him, and it just made me just think about how the church is God holds the church in a high standard and a high calling and to see him at that point just sat in my heart but it also made me appreciate where I am so I was just thankful as Dwayne was not to take your church home for granted all right so if I could be candid for a minute I have to admit that this morning I didn't exactly have 
the right attitude about coming to Sunday school because I was supposed to be in the adult class and I spend 12 to 14 weeks with the little kids and then you get six weeks with the adults. And Ruby's out of town and then Sharmon was with her mom. So she's like, you know, I need you to cover Sunday school. And I was like, I'll do it, but I'm not gonna be happy about it basically. And I knew there was a wrong attitude to have because I was just being selfish. But I'm grumbling to myself at work in my head where nobody can hear me. But I'm getting stuff ready for my Sunday school class, finding coloring pages and all that. I was like, man, I'm missing out on Sunday school. I really want to finish, you know, the deity of man. I was really enjoying the class that we had last week. You know, I like being in that class and I'm going to miss it this morning. And that just really sucks. Then completely out of nowhere, one of my coworkers, we were not having a conversation. Like we weren't talking at all. And she just called me over. She's like, hey, can I ask you a personal question? I said, sure. And she goes, when the Bible says that a wife's body is supposed to be for her husband, what does that mean? It came completely out of note. Like, we weren't, we weren't talking about marriage. We weren't talking about relationships. We, I literally walked past. And she called me over and asked me that. And, you know, I was able to tell her, like, what we were talking about, like, how God views men and women and how they have specific roles and how your, your husband and wife are supposed to treat each other. And she sat for about five minutes and just listened to me talk. And she was like, I like that. I like that answer. She's, because I did tell her that, you know, that your body is supposed to be for your husband. Your husband's body is supposed to be for you. But it's not just, oh, he owns my body now. He can mistreat it how he wants to, and he can be abusive, and I can't say anything about it. Husband's supposed to love their wives. They're supposed to treat their body like their own. It shouldn't be a burden for my body to belong to my husband, you know? And I was able to tell her all of these things. And, you know, she was really receptive to it. And I just, I almost walked away, and I came back and said, what made you ask that question? And she said that she was at a wedding, and they read that verse, but they didn't read the other part about the husband's body. They just read the wife's. And I was like, people have a tendency to make the Bible look so chauvinistic when it isn't. They want people to view Christianity as this, you know, demeaning women and looking down on us and making us seem like we're less than what men are, and that's not in Scripture at all. Like, now, we definitely have different roles, and we have different things that we do, but we are equal, and the Bible makes that clear. And when I left, I was like, you know, I learned that in Sunday school, and God knows that I'm not going to be in Sunday school today, but he wanted me there last week. He wanted me to hear that. He wanted me to share that with somebody. It's like, so if he decided that I'm not going to be there this week, and I am going to be there one week, who am I to complain about that? He puts me where he wants me to be at that time. He wanted me to teach the kids, and I should have had a right attitude about that as soon as I heard it, but I had to, you know, go through a couple things first. But I really appreciate him just kind of smacking me in the face with that. He's like, hey, I, I know exactly what I want you to learn. I know when, you, when I want you to use it, and you don't need to complain about where I put you. I'm doing what I want to do. And then when Brian had said that about sovereignty this morning, it was like, whether I like it or not, God is in complete control, and I need to be okay with that and adjust my attitude to what God said. I can't just say, well, God, I don't like that, and you need to make it right with me. Like, no, God, I don't like that, and I need to change my heart. I need to change my attitude about that. So, you know, just to be a little candid, I'm sure nobody really noticed, but it was there, and I apologize, but God did, he did show me what the right attitude was. All right. Well, with that, let's close our time together. Dear Lord, learn your truths, Lord. We pray that you just bless us, Lord. We thank you for the testimonies that we heard, Lord, about how your word is impacting people's lives, Lord. We pray that you just continue to grow, 
us individually, Lord, but also help to grow numbers to us, Lord, and help us to fill this place. In your name we pray. Amen.